Hello, everybody. Welcome to the flagship episode of Matzah Ball Hoop, your favorite Jews boiling hot NBA takes. I'm your host, Jake Epstein, Philadelphia resident and diehard 76ers fan. Throughout the history of this podcast, I'll try my best to not let my Sixers bias come through, though it inevitably will. So for all Celtics fans out there, I apologize in advance. Uh, We'll tackle a lot of different NBA topics in this podcast. We'll talk about specific teams, specific players, react to current events in the league, and we'll get guests on as well once we get up and running. And you'll hear this every episode. LeBron James, if you're listening, hit me up. I'd love to have you on. For the first episode of Matzah Ball Hoop, I'm going to predict the top 20 NBA players five years from now in the year 2025, or technically 2026 now. Uh, This is derived from the now infamous Bleacher Report article that was released in 2015, where they predicted, very straightforward, who would be the top 20 players in 2020. Uh, It included some players that weren't in the league at the time. Let's just say it didn't age well. Um, It included some absolute busts. Uh, Dragon Bender, who is no longer in the league, was on the list. Uh, Andrew Wiggins, who is mediocre at best, and we've all come to realize that, uh, they said was going to be the second best player in the league right now. Uh, They said DeMarcus Cousins was going to be third best. And, you know, injuries notwithstanding with some of these guys, you can't blame uh, a John Wall or a DeMarcus Cousins for continuously getting hurt, but it was a bad list. Uh, So I'm going to play off of that and do my take on who will be the top 20 players five years from now. But before jumping into that, we're going to start off with what will be a weekly segment on the podcast, Team of the Week. It may be the team that has performed the best over the past week, uh, a team that made the big acquisition, a team that made a big coaching hire, um, the team that deserves the biggest round of applause, holistically. This week, no surprise, it's the Brooklyn Nets. I've got my own concerns about how this big chemistry experiment is going to work, putting three big, emotional, huge personality ball handlers, not as much Durant, but uh, Kyrie and Harden on the same team. But you win in this league with stars. They took a huge swing to get one of the best stars in the league, gave up a lot of draft compensation to do it, and a fair amount of depth, but they still have a few players to put a competent enough roster around there. You know, I tip my hat to them. If this works, then they have to be the favorites in the East and maybe, you know, the favorites in the entire league, certainly to challenge LeBron and the Lakers. Uh, So again, big round of applause to them. The Brooklyn Nets are your team of the week. Now, my process in getting this list of top 20 together I pretty much went through every single team, and I thought, who are their great players now, and who are their great young players? And this list does include a few guys that have not been drafted yet and are either in high school or in college. Some noticeable cuts from the list are some guys that are some of the top guys in the league right now that either because of age, 
um, or because I don't know if they'll be in the league at all in five years, are not on my list. The obvious one being LeBron James, but that list from Bleacher Report in 2015 didn't include LeBron James, and the man doesn't seem to age at all, so maybe I'll eat my words, and at age 41, he'll still be the best player in the league. Uh, but I do not have Kawhi Leonard on my list. I do not have Paul George on my list. I do not have Jokic or Embiid. We know how big guys age. Um, and some young guys that were cuts include all top three picks from this year's draft, Anthony Edwards, James Wiseman, and LaMelo Ball. Um, and then some of my favorite young players in the league that just missed the cut, Jaron Jackson Jr., Brandon Ingram, and De'Aaron Fox. Um, Again, I wouldn't be shocked if any of those guys skyrocket on this list, and maybe I'll eat my words. Um, but let's just jump right into it now. Coming in at number 20 is Cade Cunningham. Cade Cunningham is the consensus number one overall pick in this upcoming NBA draft. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, many thought that was R.J. Barrett, and then Zion really burst onto the scene. Uh, so who knows if he'll actually wind up going number one. Uh, but he's a big, strong, six foot eight uh, point guard. So he's got that size that you know we're seeing more and more with the Ben Simmons and the Lamelo Balls. But he's definitely got that toughness factor about him. He very much seems to be an all around player uh, that can do a little bit of everything. And I know that OKC, for example. Um, who was starting off the season a lot better than folks expected. Many thought they were going to mail it in and keep this Oklahoma State product uh, local in Oklahoma if they could. Um, I'm really excited to see what he's going to do in the league. Um, admittedly, I don't follow college basketball nearly as much as I follow NBA basketball, so I don't know too much about him, but from everything I've read and from clips that I've seen, this guy really seems to be the real deal, so I have him coming in at number 20. At number 19 is one of my favorite rookies currently, uh, and in fact, I'm pretty sure the only member of the 2020 draft class on my list, uh, and it's Tyrese Halliburton, who many thought it was surprising as can be that he fell all the way to 12. It seems to be the one good draft move, the dra one good draft move that the Kings have made outside of bringing in De'Aaron Fox a few years ago. They swing and miss quite a bit. Uh, but Tyrese Halliburton really seems to be, A, his speed, his vision, his awareness. Um, again, similar versatility to do a little bit of everything. And the thing that I love about him already, a dozen games into his rookie season, he's not afraid of the big moment. He has some of the best clutch statistics in the fourth quarter in the entire league. And, you know, a De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton backcourt, again, they're two of my favorite young players in the league. I love the Kings. If you don't follow them on Instagram and you want to laugh, go give that a go. Uh, but I have Tyrese Halliburton coming in at number 19. At number 18, I have high school basketball prodigy Imani Bates, uh, who is up in Michigan, another consensus five-star recruit. Um, he is the number one player in the 2022 class. Um, and he, from everything that I have heard about him, the hype on him will be one of the biggest in the last 20 years because LeBron was drafted in 2003. This is going to be 2022, so about a 19-year span. But the way that people are talking about him as a prospect, they're saying he is just one of the best high school basketball players ever. At 16 years old, he's 6 feet 8 inches tall, so who knows if he has a little bit left in him. 
but he's one of those, you know, wings that's got every single tool in his belt, so provided he goes to a team that can actually develop them, because with Cade Cunningham, with Amani Bates, and with who I'm going to talk about as my next pick, you know, where you go matters, and player development matters, and, you know, some folks can do that a little bit easier than others, but it seems like he's really going to burst onto the scene, and maybe I have him way too low at number 18, but... Again, until I see it, I'm not going to say you're going to be a top 10 player in the league just three years in. Um, But again, that happens very frequently. And then at number 17, I've got Chet Holmgren, uh, the lanky man that he is. Chet Holmgren is another five-star recruit, um, consensus number one player in the 2021 class. So a little cheap that I've got. The three players that I have not in the league currently are respectively... seen as the number one overall picks in 2020, 2021, and 2022, respectively. But Chet Holmgren is seven foot one and 190 pounds. So if you haven't seen a picture of this kid, Google him because it's just entertaining to look at. But he's that tall rim-protecting center that can also shoot the three. A lot of people say that he just looks like Kristaps Porzingis in so many ways, obviously a lot more skinny than Chris Tapps, but people are talking about this kid like he's going to be the best white American-born player since Larry Bird, (laughs) because he is 18 years old, still got a little bit of time before he's going to be in the league, because uh, he's got some time to get there, but he just really looks like the type of player that's going to have a game that translates very well to the NBA, Um, so I'm excited to see what he's going to bring onto the scene, uh, who he will wind up going to. Um, But he is going to be a fun player to watch, um, to say the least. And now moving forward, 16-1, to these are all players that are currently in the league. Um, So if you're like me and follow NBA a lot more closely than college, these will be names that are a lot more familiar to you. At number 16, I have Jalen Brown. I love Jalen Brown as much as I hate the Celtics, because he gets better every year so visibly, and I just respect that so much. He always adds a tool to his game. He's got everything in his pocket in terms of his defensive ability, in terms of his leadership. You know, in the bubble last year, he over Jason Tatum really seemed to be the one that was taking control of the locker room. Um, And again, five years from now, he could be significantly better than that, The way that I look at Jalen Brown, I don't see him as being able to add much more to his game because he's already added so much. But again, he's been adding more and more every year. So I could completely eat those words and he could be one of the best players in the league. But I really respect that kid. Um, I have him at number 16. At number 15, I have another one of my favorite young players in the league um, who a lot of folks are really excited about. And that's Shea Gilgis-Alexander point guard of the Oklahoma City Thunder. He was the big centerpiece of the Paul George trade, along with every first-round pick that the Clippers had to their name. But Shea has been really given the opportunity to step up and say, if you guys are going to be building around me, let me take advantage of that. Again, the Thunder, we all kind of viewed as the one team in the league that, okay, this is going to be the the tank job of the year. But again, 12 games into the season, they're 500. And they seem to be that type of team, even last year with Chris Paul there, when we all thought they'd be bad. 
that really came out and said, losing isn't in our vocabulary. That's not what we're going to try to do. Again, they only have so much talent, so who knows how that's actually going to be executed on. But last night, Shea dropped 33-10-5. It's so obvious looking at this kid. He's just 22 years old. As he continues to develop more, he's going to be one of the bright stars of this league. Um, Oklahoma City got a really good one there. And with all of the draft capital that they have, they're building what could be a really special thing moving forward. Um, I absolutely love Shea. I have him at number 15. At number 14, I have, let me just double check. Uh, yeah, this is the individual that, by my prediction, is going to be the top center in the league five years from now. Bam Adebayo, who you could argue, you know, right now the top centers in the league are Embiid, Jokic, Gobert, Cat, and Bam. Uh, depending on who you ask and where their loyalties lie, you'll get a very different order of the five of those. Bam is just the type of guy that, from a defensive standpoint, he's one of the most versatile defenders in the league. You know, with a Ben Simmons and Anthony Davis and a Giannis that, you know, Gobert, as great as he is, just protects the rim in a lot of ways. Bam can do a little bit of everything. He's so quick. He's so aware of the game around him. And he added a great offensive arsenal to his game this past year that was one of the big reasons that the Heat went as far as they did. You know, bubble factors notwithstanding, uh, Jimmy Butler really showing his leadership. But Bam, you could just tell that Heat culture has rubbed off on him. He works harder than many players in the league. And in terms of a center that would age well, he doesn't seem to have, you know, the big bulky build of an Embiid or a Jokic. Um, I really think he could continue to be great for a long, long time. Um, I've got Bam at number 14. At number 13, I have Trey Young. Trey is the individual that I struggled with the most on this list because I do not like Trey Young at all. Um, Trey Young, to me, has been put in an interesting situation where the Atlanta Hawks traded Luka Doncic for Trey Young. Yes, they got another pick out of it, but that's all it boils down to. They traded Luka Doncic for Trey Young. And I think they're doing everything they possibly can to show the world and the NBA community we didn't mess up doing that. We we got our guy here. This is exactly what we wanted. And so they're giving him all of the keys to the city. And so there's so many games where he just tries to play superhero, tries to do whatever he can. And I know a lot of people say Trey Young is the next Steph Curry. Trey Young does not shoot nearly as efficiently as Steph Curry. Yes, he could hit threes from very deep, but he statistically this season is having an average three-point shooting season. And that's kind of reflective of the fact that the Atlanta Hawks, who started a little hot, are currently out of the playoff picture. Um, and the Heat are behind them. I think we all expect that when the Heat get their guys together, they're going to jump back into it. But I digress a little bit. With Trey Young, he's the type of guy that if he continues to mature and his offensive game materializes similar to Steph, you know, Steph is and was a top five, seven player in the league for years without really playing a lick of defense because he was just so gifted offensively that it didn't really matter that he didn't play defense. Trey Young may be the worst defender in the league, and his offensive game I just can't stand. 
He's doing everything he can to bait fouls. And the fact that he is small and skinny, like there are so many times where he'll be driving to the basket and somebody will be chasing behind him and then he'll literally just stop so that a player will run into him from behind and he'll get to the foul line. I don't like his game. Um, I don't like that he is trying everything he can to be Steph and that the Hawks are doing everything they can to make him Steph. So I honestly struggled with not putting him on the list because if he continues to not play defense and they continue to force that, he might crumble a little bit more than we think he will. But at the same time, again, if he gets his offensive game together to be 80 to 90% of Steph, he'll be a top 10 player in the league, even though he can't play defense. So I compromised a little bit, putting him at 13. But again, he was one of the two, and I'll get to another one in a little bit, that I literally didn't know where to put him at all, but I felt disrespectful not including him. Um, At number 12 is Donovan Mitchell, a player that his rookie year I couldn't stand because the whole Donovan Mitchell-Ben Simmons rookie of the year thing I thought was the stupidest thing ever. I thought that the fact that he was trying to make a claim for it so much because technically Ben wasn't a rookie, even though he was a rookie, um, was definitely annoying as a Sixers fan when Ben put together such a phenomenal rookie campaign. But as he's gotten a few more years under his belt, I can't help but love Donovan Mitchell. Um, I love his you know, commitment to the small market of Salt Lake City. Again, I know no player is turning down that rookie max of $163 million. Uh, but Donovan Mitchell really is the type of player that, you know, gives good enough effort defensively for being an undersized two guard. And he's just a bucket. He can just score in every way possible. You know, there are some days that I'm like, this guy's just a little bit too cold in moments where it matters most. But then he'll come out in the playoff game and drop 57. I think they overpaid a lot for Rudy Gobert. I get the need to overpay to keep your guys. Um, but giving Rudy Gobert the third richest contract in NBA history, I don't know how much that's going to handcuff the Jazz, but they've also got Mike Conley's money coming off the books this year. And right here, right now, they're third in the Western Conference. And if we get fans back by playoff time, which, you know, hope we will, fingers crossed we will for all of our sakes. I miss going to basketball games so much. I think Donovan Mitchell can really carry a team maybe on a deep playoff run with the Utah Jazz fan base being one of the most fervent in the league they could be a sneaky sleeper pick of mine to make the Western Conference Finals this year and then maybe we'll look at Donovan Mitchell with the respect that we were looking at a Jamal Murray you know this past year again extenuating bubble circumstances notwithstanding but um, Donovan Mitchell Really excited to see what he's going to do for the Jazz and for the league. I have him coming in at 12. At number 11, I have Devin Booker. Now, Devin Booker, it's interesting. He hasn't had a great start to the year. And the Suns are still 7-4. and four. I know we were all excited about you know the 8-0 finish they had in the bubble. Chris Paul is one of my favorite players of all time. Adding him to the Suns, I thought, this is a fantastic move. I don't think they're going to be a true contender, but they're definitely going to be a playoff team, in my opinion. But right here, right now, fourth seed in the West, and that's with Devin Booker not playing great. 
and we all know what Devin Booker is capable of doing. We all know that when he was, I can't remember if it was 20 or 21 years old, dropping 70 on the Boston Celtics. And now that the Suns, and again, Chris Paul probably won't be in the league in five years, but the fact that they are showing more of a commitment to making moves, to putting a team around them, uh, the Mikhail Bridges pickup, you know, taking him away from Philly, highway robbery, he could be an all-defensive caliber player. Cam Johnson, who we all clowned when the Suns took him at 11, looks like he was a great pickup for them. If the Suns start to play like the Suns of old, you know, 2005 to 2010 Steve Nash Suns, I'm not saying Devin Booker is Steve Nash by any means. I'm just saying if the Suns start to become another Western Conference powerhouse with Devin Booker at the forefront of that, um, you can't help but love Devin Booker and, you know, what he means for the community, you know, how he clowns Paul George. You just love the guy. You really do. Um, I have Devin Booker at 11, and at number 10, I have what might be a little bit of a hot take because of the way he started the year. Um, I have Jamal Murray. Preseason, my prediction was that Jamal Murray was going to make All-NBA third team. Again, he hasn't had a great start of the year. Maybe I was a little bit caught up in, you know, Bubble Murray and how just flat-out phenomenal that kid played. But he came into the league to be a combo guard. Denver has made him much more of that kind of pure point guard. And I know that the bubble was a weird circumstance, but that just showed me everything I need to know of what that kid is capable of doing. He is really capable of coming out and being one of the best point guards in the league, juxtaposed with, I would say, the best center in the league. As much as I love Joel Embiid, the way Jokic performed in the playoffs last year, until Embiid has a playoff run like that, it's hard for me to put Embiid over Jokic. But Jamal Murray has a very interesting team built around him. The loss of Jeremy Grant is very clearly hurting them on the defensive end of the floor, but they're starting to figure it out a little bit more, putting together a couple of wins uh, over the past few games. And Jamal Murray's the type of guy that his skill set, I'm not quite comparing him to Damian Lillard, but five years ago, Dame was great. Five years later, currently, Dame is still great, and his game just aged so well, and he added so many different pieces to it. I really think Jamal Murray is going to figure it out, get out of this weird little, not even a slump, but his you know colder start to the season than he had in the bubble. I see him being one of the best young guards uh, in the league moving forward. He's one of the top guards I have on my list. I see Denver really making noise. I wouldn't be shocked if they are in an NBA Finals in the next three or four years. Um, I have him at number 10. At number 9, I have probably the most polarizing player on this list because the opinions that I've heard about this guy really just stretch across the entire spectrum, and it's Zion. I think that Zion has all of the tools to be a really fun player. You know, his passion, his charisma, his love for the game, the fact that he's always got a smile on his face— He's really a phenomenal kid and a phenomenal young player. Problem with Zion is that his game is predicated on his athleticism. And I know coming into the league, a lot of people made the Blake Griffin comparison in the sense that 
clearly a little bit of different body builds, but just a big, strong, athletic guy that's going to, you know, for five years have so many highlight videos of crazy blocks and him dunking over people. And I really think he is a special talent. But at the start of this year, he seems to have lost a step. And I equate that very directly to, it looks like he put on a few pounds. And he's already going to be such a huge human being. If he's not taking care of himself, he's not going to be phenomenal for a long time. With that said, if he does and starts to develop somewhat of an outside shot, which again, he's capable of hitting threes. Nobody's going to mistake him for a dominant three-point shooter. I really hope I'm wrong because I think Zion is one of the faces of the league is going to be so important for the league. Maybe he could be a lot lower than this. He could turn into just another guy if he doesn't take care of himself, you know, health-wise. But I see him getting it together a little bit, realizing his potential, um, hiring a nutritionist, laying off the New Orleans beignets. I think Zion has all the tools to be great. I see him putting it together. He could be a lot higher than nine. He could be a lot lower than nine. Uh, But right here, right now, I have him at number nine. And at number eight, I have Michael Porter Jr. Another guy who his bubble performance showed us what he really can be. And what that is, in my opinion, is the next great forward, you know, dual threat wing in the league. The big question about Michael Porter Jr. is can he stay healthy? Uh, You know, he famously missed his first full season of the year with um, a back injury. He only played, I believe, three games of college basketball. But Michael Porter Jr., that Denver team, he's one of the big reasons that, like I said earlier with Jamal Murray, I have them making a finals appearance in the next three to four years. Because when you've got a dynamic guard, a dynamic wing, and a dynamic center, that's the tool for success. And even with the absence of Jeremy Grant, I know the reason that Denver, you know, was upset to see him leave, but not losing too much sleep over it is because now Michael Porter Jr. can emerge, and he definitely is. He's still so young. He is technically still in his second season um, and really just doing phenomenal things. I think that with the clear player development that they have in Denver, you know, Jamal Murray is great. No one thought he was going to be this great. Jokic was the 41st pick in the draft, and he is now arguably, and in my opinion, the best center in the league. If those three continue to gel together and they continue to put competent role players around them, get one or two more wing defenders, that team's going to be a problem for the league. And I think Michael Porter Jr. is going to be the big catalyst of that because when you've got that dynamic wing that can do everything those are probably the most valued players in the league. At number seven, I have Ben Simmons. And as a Sixers fan, I love Ben Simmons. I love Joel Embiid. They're my guys. But I like to think that I'm critical of them. Ben Simmons does everything on an NBA floor at an elite level, except shoot the basketball. He is a front-running candidate right now early for Defensive Player of the Year. 
because like when I was talking about Bam earlier, his pure versatility. He can do everything on the defensive end of the floor. From an offensive standpoint, he is top three in the league in speed, maybe top five. He's got incredible court vision, and he's one of the best rebounding guards there is. Now, the reason I've struggled with Ben Simmons is because he was all of that his rookie year. He came into the league as an all-star, and I don't know why Adam Silver didn't want to put him in the all-star game his rookie year, because uh, for those that don't remember, Ben's rookie year, there were four injuries on the Eastern Conference all-stars, and one by one, new players kept getting named, and Goran Dragic, who I love, got named over Ben Simmons, which, looking back on it, is even more crazy. Ben Simmons was all of these things as a rookie, and his game hasn't progressed tremendously. His defensive game has, for sure. We all knew that he had these defensive tools. He's really put that together. The reason I'm comfortable putting him at seven, though, is because he's starting to shoot more. Nobody's ever going to accuse Ben Simmons of being an elite shooter, but he doesn't need to be. If Ben Simmons is shooting one to two threes a game at a 30% clip, which is below average, he's going to be probably higher than seven on this list because he'll have every tool in his book, and if he just has the threat to be able to shoot, he's going to be able to do so much more offensively. I could eat my words tremendously on this because he could just do nothing with his shooting and say, this is just the player that I am. I've already gotten a $170 million extension. I'm going to get a max deal when free agency's up, either by Philly or if I leave. So maybe he doesn't care to put in that work to shoot the ball. But if he just has it as a little threat, and, you know, joke all you want, he has shot three threes this year. And not just half-court heaves. He has shot three legitimate threes in a game. That is progress. That is very much progress. And I see him hopefully continuing to build on that. I have Ben Simmons at seven. At number six, I have Kevin Durant. Now, five years ago, when Bleacher Report published their article, LeBron James was not on it. And it was like, well, LeBron James is going to be 36. How the heck is he still going to be one of the best players in the league, if not the best, which he still is? So that is the motivation for the Kevin Durant pick, because Kevin Durant has the skill set that will age well. He really doesn't seem to have skipped a beat coming off of his Achilles tear. You know, he is one of the few players that benefited from the NBA stoppage because he had 18 months between when he tore his Achilles and when he needed to play another NBA game. And he looks like Kevin Durant. Not even 90% of Kevin Durant. He looks like Kevin Durant. And Kevin Durant could probably play another 10 years. The way that he plays, the way that he doesn't rely on his athleticism like a Blake Griffin does, which is why he's fizzled out a little bit. He is the type of guy that loves to hoop and, you know, can be a diva off the court. But if he's like, I just got to show up and play basketball, he's going to do that better than most players in the league for the next few years, and I still see him being great five years out. I don't need to talk about the greatness of Kevin Durant, and, you know, with the addition of James Harden, maybe Brooklyn's going to win a championship. If those three mesh together and Kyrie comes back, we're going to look at him in such great esteem, um, and I just see his game. Number five, I have Jason Tatum. 
who miraculously, five years from now, he's still going to be 20 years old. Who would have thunk it? Um, Jason Tatum, I've got my own qualms with him as, you know, a player and as a Sixers fan. You know, we could have had him, and we don't, and I'm always going to hate the guy for that. But last year, the only thing that I thought Jason Tatum didn't have in his back pocket was that ability to close games. Um, And don't get me wrong, he was trying. It's not like he was shying away from the moment. He was taking those shots. But I feel like a lot of people didn't really acknowledge how at end of games last year and in the playoffs, he would take a lot of big shots and he'd miss them. I don't have the clutch statistics in front of me, but I remember him missing bad many times on, you know, threes to end the game. And at the beginning of this year, when he hit that big three against Milwaukee, you know, that game winner, that was one of the worst shots and one of the worst misses I have seen in a while. He wasn't trying to bank that shot in. He missed by about four feet and was just lucky that it banked in. But if he really continues to develop that aspect of his game, and I've got no reason to think he won't, I talked about Michael Porter Jr. earlier as that you know young, dynamic wing. Jason Tatum could very possibly be the best in the league. You know Who knows if the Celtics put it all together, but he's a top 15 player in the league right now, getting better. You know, you'd be foolish to say he's not going to be one of the top players in the league as much as I don't like the guy because I just don't like the Celtics and I wish the Sixers had him. He really is going to be a problem for the Eastern Conference um, for years to come. Not quite as much of a problem as the last current Eastern Conference player on my list, number four, the Greek freak. I love Giannis. I love his commitment to the small market. I love the fact that he said, this is my home. This is the team that developed me. I'm signing the Supermax extension and I'm staying in Milwaukee. Now again, him staying in Milwaukee versus him leaving to go to another team in free agency was a difference of $80 million. But we've seen plenty of players that were comfortable walking away from that Supermax. You know, Kawhi Leonard demanded a trade. Anthony Davis demanded a trade. But Giannis said, I'm here to stay. And Milwaukee, I love their commitment to, you know, putting the competent team around him. I love the whole... Let's just go for it and get Drew Holiday. I think that they made that Drew Holiday move knowing Giannis was going to stay because there's no reason you give up three first-round picks to do that if that weren't the case. But Giannis has the type of game where he's developing a three. He's not a phenomenal three-point shooter, but he's got enough of a three in his back pocket that Ben Simmons should have because if Ben Simmons can shoot a three respectably enough like Giannis can... That's what's going to propel Ben to a top five player in the league. But Giannis has done that. He is one of the best defenders in the league, coming off of a defensive player of the year win. He's got speed. He's got strength. He's got playoff limitations. But if they underachieve again this year, I see them firing Budenholzer, and I see them bringing in a coach that can play to that a little bit more, help develop the um, team game and Giannis's in particular, Um, and Middleton and Holiday really thriving with him. It's hard to say that he's going to regress, because yes, his game is predicated on strength and athleticism, but Giannis is still only 26 years old. 
And so five years from now at 31, I definitely still see him having all of that ability for sure. At number three, I have the player that Bleacher Report had as number one on their list for 2020, and that's Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis, I thought should have won Defensive Player of the Year last year. Again, I know I've said this a few times, but the versatile defenders, you've got AD, you've got Giannis, you've got Simmons, and to a lesser extent, you have Bam Adebayo. His defensive game isn't going anywhere. He's got such an amazing shot from every end of the floor. Anthony Davis is one of the few big men, Joel Embiid being another, that knocks down all of his free throws at a very high clip, um, which matters quite a bit going into... Um, you know, late games in the postseason. And I don't know if LeBron is going to be playing in five years or if he'll be on the Lakers in five years. And if Anthony Davis gets the reins to the LA Lakers, which I think we all believe he will, and he continues to excel, and free agents always want to go to LA, they always want to play for the Lakers, I see that team continuing to be good for so long. I can't say enough good things about AD's game. Uh, and his attitude, I think he's going to continue to be great for years to come. At number two, I have a player that some people might think is a little high at number two. I have John Morant. I think that John Morant is going to emerge as the best point guard that this league has seen in quite some time. John Morant as a rookie, I really just couldn't believe this guy's vision and speed. I mean, we all saw the amazing passes that he made. You know, you can't teach that. You can't teach awareness, visibility, and just, you know, flashy, fun, highlight reel material. He's so athletic. You know, he famously missed a dunk where he jumped over six foot ten Kevin Love in a game setting. Um, he has got such great speed. I think he's about to come back. I know he was listed as probable um, for a game recently, so thankfully that injury that he sustained a couple of weeks ago seems like it's going to be a short-lived one. And if he starts to shoot from outside the arc a little bit more, um, you know, he does it at a, you know, a good clip. He was a rookie last year, so it's not like there was, you know, too high of an expectation. I think John Morant is going to win an MVP in the next five years. I know his game isn't comparable to Steph, but I see him taking over as the next best point guard in the league, and he can do more defensively than Steph can. Again, I'm not saying he's ever going to be an all-defensive type of guy, but he and Jaron Jackson Jr. are going to be such a fun young duo, continuing to grow. The Grizzlies have shown ability to draft well um, and sign well. I see them maybe overpaying for a good, not great free agency player to complement the two of them. In Ja and Triple J, I think Ja is really going to help bring small markets to the forefront more and more, um, like Giannis did for Milwaukee. I think he's going to do such amazing things for Memphis. And at number one, I've got, you know, the Slovenian terror, Luka Doncic. I think Luka's got next. I think that the, you know, transition from LeBron to Luka is going to be a seamless one. I bet money on Luka Doncic winning MVP. Um, I believe he is going to do that this year now that Kristaps is back and the Mavericks are going to put things together more and more, probably be a top four seed in the conference. 
and if Luca does win MVP, he'll be the youngest MVP in history, surpassing Derrick Rose. Now, we all thought Derrick Rose had next, but again, his game was predicated on athleticism, a couple big heartbreaking injuries that obviously derailed his career, and he's got a little bit of a renaissance later in his career now. But Luca's game, there's just very, very little that he can't do. And I've said that about a lot of guys on this list, but there's very little that he can't do at an elite level. Like he really is. I'll never forget his rookie year when the Mavericks, this was in the very short time that DeAndre Jordan was on the Mavericks. And end of the game, there were seven tenths of a second left on the shot clock. Luca runs as far into the corner as you possibly can, catches a shot, and shoots it as it's touching his hand to beat the shot clock, and he hits a three to go to overtime. And DeAndre Jordan is standing at half court and just turns to the camera and says, holy expletive. And Luca's got that type of game where you could tell his rookie year, that kid's going to be amazing, and every team that passed up on him are morons. You know, even if DeAndre Ayton's great, Marvin Bagley doesn't seem to be. And I talked about it earlier. The Hawks are doing everything they can to show that they didn't screw up with this Luka pick um, in giving him away. I think he's going to really just take the league by storm, um, be probably the best European player ever. He's got the ability to do that. Um, I don't know if he'll ever be on a higher pantheon than Hakeem Olajuwon as the best foreign-born player ever. But I think that his game, the fact that he's on the Mavericks, I mean, if he wins two championships in his career, he could surpass Dirk as the greatest European ever. That's a very high bar for this kid. But if he is the youngest MVP ever, which I believe he can be, he's going to do some really special things. So that's my list. I kept going over it hoping that I wasn't missing anybody obvious and tremendous on the list altogether. Um, if you've got arguments and debates, hit me up on social media. We'll love to have a conversation about it. Uh, follow me on Instagram and Twitter at MatzaBallHoop. Um, and thank you for tuning into the first podcast. I look forward to many more to come, uh, and I will see you all next time. Peace.